This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by 23andMe.com. With 23andMe's genetic service, you can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, or Africa. Visit 23andMe.com slash fooled. That's the number 23andme.com slash fooled. It's Thursday, August 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today. You know what? Aaron Bush works on so many different services here at The Motley Fool, I hesitate to name them all. But Aaron Bush, in studio, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. We've got retail, and we've got not just retail, we've got two of the biggest retailers in the world reporting earnings. We've got Walmart and Alibaba, and we're going to dip into the full mailbag to talk about esports. But let's start with Walmart. Their second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Their online sales up 67%. The stock's still down a little bit today, but if nothing else, the online sales is growing. It's not just that it's growing, it's growing significantly. Yeah, and without a doubt, that's a good thing. The way I personally feel about this quarter is that I'm happy that it wasn't awful. Right. Um, and that's just because there's so much bloodshed out there these days. There I'll is. take I'll take two percent revenue growth. I feel feel pretty good about that when it comes to a big box retailer. Um, I mean, I mean pretty clearly, two percent revenue growth. Most of that was from comps and traffic um, increases. There were some price increases along along with that. They opened 16 new super centers over the past year, so still still growing. Um, but I mean, I will give Walmart credit for what it's doing in e-commerce. Over 60% growth there is impressive. Now that is coming at a cost, though, right? So, so we are seeing that that margins are slipping, free cash flow is slipping. So, so there is some some cost to that growth. But they are making progress on that front. But don't you think that they would prefer that trade? Wouldn't if you're Doug McMillan, the CEO? Wouldn't you rather trade margins for putting up 67% growth as opposed to, well, online sales grew 15%, but our margins held? Yeah, so I think it's definitely important for them to take the short term hits over a really big long term hit if they were just completely unprepared and all of this. So I think, I mean, we were talking a little bit beforehand, they acquired Jet.com, and Mark Lore, who ran Jet, now runs. Walmart's e-commerce operations, and I think he is—he is making the right moves here, um, and without a doubt, improving the way things are working. Um, and I, I also think that just as the the online transition occurs, it does inevitably slow down Walmart's inevitable decline. But I think I'm still still a little paranoid, still a little bit worried. But I mean, it's good to see things moving in the right direction. Well, and as you said, it's it's good to see this. Not that we are wishing ill on any traditional bricks and mortar retailer, but we're. I, I think, if I can speak for you, I think we're both rooting a little bit harder for Walmart, just because of how big it is, and because you mentioned the Jet.com acquisition. There were plenty of people, including some in this building. Who, when they made that acquisition, just sort of threw up their hands and said, "What are they doing? Why are they, why are they spending three billion dollars on that? It's not going to work." Um, but it, 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 I think the the combination of uh, and I'm I'm already forgetting the guy's name from Jet.com, the founder there, Mark Lore. Mark Lore. Um, between him and the leadership of Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, uh, they they are moving it uh, the way they need to. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, just to touch on a, a couple things that I'm still a little paranoid about, I do think that this postpones some of Walmart's decline, but I do think that over time, it there the majority of the shift has yet to take place, and the ripple effects of what that means um, are going to be significant. So, so for one, what we're seeing right now is Walmart is relying pretty heavily on acquisitions to boost its online offerings. So, Jet.com set the precedent. Um, but they have made several other acquisitions too, mostly on the smaller side. Shoe buy, Moose Jaw, Modcloth, never heard of any of those. Um, Bonobos. Um, so, on, on one hand, I think that's smart because that acquires new customers, sometimes from outside the Walmart sphere, um, new data to work with, smart employees to bring in. But on the other hand, I, I just wonder how good of a job Walmart will do to tie all of those together under the same roof. Aggregation is really important when it comes to being an e-commerce titan, and I'm just not sure if if they'll be able to connect everything super well. Um, so I think that might be a stretch, but there's a lot of work left to do there. My largest concern, though, is infrastructure. Um, so physical retail takes an entirely different approach to infrastructure than e-commerce does. It's just two completely different worlds. And, and for one, we're already see- seeing the margins falling because Walmart has to build brand new infrastructure to, to build its online capabilities on top of its physical presence. Um, so that's a much higher infrastructure cost to remain relevant to the same group of people. Um, and as physical retail revenues transition into online revenues, that picks that puts really big cost pressure on the physical um, retail infrastructure, the stores, the warehouses that are connected to that. Um, so I can totally see over the next five to ten years, Walmart could knock it out of the park with their online um, successes and just keeping this momentum going. But what that means is that there's going to be some some issues on the physical side, and they'll have to figure out what to do with underperforming stores and figure out how to to shut things down or sell things off, and it it could just lead to more headaches. I can't believe you've never heard of Moose Jaw. That is, I mean, that is as quality a name you're going to get when it comes to, <laughs> when you're in the business of sort of outdoor gear, snowboarding, all that sort of thing. Moose Jaw, come on, that's a great name. Maybe I just need to branch out some more. <laughs> Go, go you know on an adventure. You know what? It's a hell of a lot better name than Bonobos, or however you pronounce yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Alibaba, uh, the e-commerce giant in China. First quarter profit came in north of $2 billion, and shares of Alibaba up around 4 or 5% today. Uh, I mean, this is what Jet.com wants to be when it grows up. <laughs> it's the antithesis of a Walmart right now. I, well, it's not the antithesis, but I mean, it, it's, you know, hey, if you're Walmart, uh, if you just keep piling up quarter after quarter of 60% online sales growth, eventually you're going to get to 2.1 billion. But, <laughs> um, but this is, again, this is, this is what Jet.com wants to be when it grows up. Yeah, no, I felt really, really positive looking into this quarter. And I'll just start by saying that. Alibaba's mobile monthly active users, that metric was up 24% year-over-year to about 530 million. And so, to frame that up, about 55% of China's population um, are internet users. So, that's about 750 million people. If you take out kids and such, um, you see that Alibaba is really at the point of ubiquity right now. Um, People or that just builds a really powerful network effect. And because of that network effect, people just start to use 
Alibaba um, and their their websites and services more and more. And so this quarter, you see exactly that. Revenue rose 56%. And most of those gains did come from the the commercial operations, so Tmall and Taobao. Um, more big brands are jumping onto the platform. And naturally, because of that, consumers are engaging more with its apps. Gross merchandise volume is spiking. So, so at the core, Alibaba is just killing it. Margins are scaling. Um, cash flow is rising. They're just getting the job done. How key in your mind is Jack Ma uh, to this company? Because I don't, ha- I mean, he's clearly a tremendous business leader, but I don't know that I get the sense that he is as crucial to Alibaba right now. Obviously, he's gotten Alibaba to where it is, mm-hmm. but I don't get the sense that he is as crucial to Alibaba. Uh, as, say, Jeff Bezos is to Amazon in this regard. I think if Jeff Bezos announced tomorrow that he was uh, leaving as CEO, he was basically walking away from Amazon.com, I think that stock takes a much bigger hit Mm -hmm. than Alibaba takes if Jack Ma announces that he's walking away. Probably. I think I agree with that. I still think that he is important. for, for the reason that, similar to Amazon, Alibaba is starting to branch out of just pure retail. And so, as they, they scale into these new ventures, having a more centralized person up top to kind of manage all of that, um, allocate resources, decide strategically for the whole what to do, I actually think that that position uh, starts to be more important. Whether or not that's solely Jack Ma or not, or if it's more of a group of people, I don't really know. But I actually feel like it's going to be more important just from a resource allocation perspective. Um, and so, actually, what, what I think is particularly interesting about Alibaba is similar to Amazon, is just the new things that they're venturing into. And so, just to name maybe two or three that they, they highlighted this past quarter, I mean, for one, Similar to Amazon, Alibaba Cloud is gaining more traction. And so the similar um, cloud services, cloud computing growth that we're seeing here in the US. Are they also calling it AWS? It's, you know, for shorthand, Alibaba Web Services? They, they could. They, they definitely could. <laughs> that would get confusing. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but right now, that's only 5% of the total business, but revenue doubled year over year for that. So, I mean, if that keeps up, that naturally becomes a larger percent of the business and the economics of it um, kind of pour through to the bottom. I mean, they also acquired a company called Endtime Retail Group, which is a leading department store and mall operator in China, which is which is kind of odd if you think about it. So I think what Alibaba is doing there could end up being a really interesting case study and how you connect the online and digital retail worlds and to create you know the ultimate omni-channel experience. Um, they're investing heavily into original content. Um, like most big tech companies are here, like most big tech companies are there. Um, they're trying to expand internationally. They're partnering with big companies like Marriott. So they're doing a ton of stuff. And I guess my point here is that the core business is on fire, and those, res- those results are providing the resources to, to move in all of these new directions, similar to how we've seen Amazon here. Um, and I actually do think that that makes leadership more important than it's been in the past. Do you think there comes a point in the next, say, five years where they make a significant push into North America? No, I don't think so. I think I think more in Asia. There's several countries around there um, 
that are probably better targets to tap into. And they would probably try to go after even Latin America or Australia before they tried to attack Amazon's home turf. All right, before we get to our next topic, I want to say thanks to 23andMe for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. 23andMe.com is a genetic service that can help you discover where your DNA comes from around the world. You can learn what percentage of your DNA comes from places like Italy, Finland, East Asia, Africa. And with your 23andMe reports, you can explore your connection to the world in a whole new way by traveling to the places that reflect your DNA. I have not done this yet. Have you Have you done no, this? No, but I want to. Um, so, a few people here in the office have. Actually, the first person I ever knew who did the 23andMe kit was our CEO, Tom Gardner. And uh, he, he was just fascinated with sort of the results, not just in terms of uh, his heritage, but also in terms of genetic traits. And uh, he, he found it to be incredibly informative in terms of uh, just how he could sort of take better care of himself in, in the health department. Yeah, yeah. You can visit 23andMe.com slash fool to learn more. That's the number 23andme.com slash fool. What will be your DNA destination? Our Twitter handle, and some of you may actually be watching us right now on Periscope via the Twitter. Um, this is actually the first episode of Market Foolery that we are um, live streaming on Twitter and on Facebook, but our handle is at MarketFoolery. A uh, question came into us from uh, on Twitter from Dan McGirt in Atlanta, and he sent a link to an article, and he included the question, so did eSports just die? Um, <laughs> and the article that he sent was about an artificial intelligence program uh, that beat the human competition at a World Championship video game contest, and it reminded me of Years ago, when Big Blue, the supercomputer from IBM, won a global chess championship, and and that was the whole thing of like, oh, you know, robot beats man, you know, computer beats man, that sort of thing. Um, on going back to Twitter for a second, uh, when we had tweeted this out that we were going to talk about this, immediately we got some reaction from listeners from the gaming community who were just like, no. This is like this is the this is not. But but you are someone who follows esports and the video game industry. First, what was your reaction to the article? I mean, I think it's fascinating what they're doing. I think this is a stepping stone for AI. So it was OpenAI that that did this. And if you couldn't think he could do more, this is Elon Musk's brainchild um, for for developing. He doesn't have enough to keep him occupied. He's got to do this too. He just has to. <laughs> Build the best AI systems too, I guess. Um, so, I mean, I thought it was was pretty interesting. I don't think that it's. I think it's a completely different narrative from from esports. Um, it's just that AI training is done in games, but the news is very significant in its own way. And I think the best way to to look at it is to rewind a little bit. So, when when the first computing system beat chess. Um, that was because it was able to data crunch all the possible moves and outcomes. Um, probably a year and a half ago or so, when um, when Alphabet's AlphaGo topped the world's best player in Go, that was important because the possibilities of Go 
are so vast that it can't really be data crunched. So the machine had to build its own intuition of sorts. Um, and that intuition, being able to make decisions under imperfect information, that was the breakthrough. And so now stepping from Go to Dota, which is a big, a big game in the, the gaming world, um, that's a big deal um, because it's a much more complex environment that operates in, in real time. Um, I, I will note, though, the headlines are maybe a little bit misleading in the case that um, this particular Dota bot can only play one-on-one when the game is typically played five-on-five, and it can only play as and against one particular character out of more than 100 you can choose from. So it is pretty limited, but within that niche, um, it's still really impressive. And I think um, it's just important to remember that AI testing is occurring in games for a reason. Um, Games are sandbox ecosystems with limited and particular rule sets. And the point of AI here is not to master games. It's, it's, It's about learning how to master increasingly complex environments. And the more complex things get, like that is the breakthrough. And that is the fascinating story here. When do you think, uh, two questions around esports, when do you think the next advancement in essentially popular culture immersion will happen, and what form do you think that takes? Do you, do you envision in the next few years that a, a, a significant television network puts esports on prime time and yeah. you know, esports leagues are signing pretty big deals in, not on the level of the NFL or something like that but is that is that what we should be looking for for anyone who's looking to invest in this industry mm-hmm. i'm just wondering sort of what else what clues should we be looking for so i think it'll take form in a couple of different ways one is going to be leagues gaining traction so for example blizzard is just now launching the overwatch league and seeing how that gains traction will be telling uh, i mean there's also nba 2K, which is Take-Two's game, that is partnering with the NBA to create its its league. And so now we're seeing lots of big money from, from those big franchises pouring in there. And so seeing how fan response to that is important. But no, I actually do think that there will be, maybe not necessarily like ESPN primetime, but BamTech, which now ESPN, Disney owns the majority of, um, they have an exclusive deal, a $300 million deal with League of Legends, which is the largest game in the esports world, to stream um, those tournaments and championships. So definitely, it is, it is starting to cross paths with the big players. And how those big players push it, I think, will determine how pop culture responds. Two housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Uh, first, thank you to Keith Erickson, uh, who uh, sent me a very nice uh, handwritten note. Uh, really appreciate that, Keith. And and thank you to uh, Jeffrey and Ryan, uh, two listeners who are road tripping, the uh, t- two guys from Brooklyn who were road tripping to Kentucky by way of Washington, D.C. and Pittsburgh and, and taking uh, what sounds like a really nice road trip. But anyway, they stopped by Full HQ earlier in the week and dropped off an amazing chocolate babka 
from uh, a bake shop in Brooklyn, and it was delicious, and it disappeared very quickly. It was one, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to cut myself a piece of this, and then I just put it in the fifth floor cafe, and it was gone in no time. But uh, it was great. And um, uh, Jeffrey and Ryan, if you're listening, I uh, hope you guys are having a great trip. Aaron Bush, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.